0: Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Sustainable Ecommerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host Giles Smith. Now it's so tempting, isn't it, to believe that other brands and other entrepreneurs have all the answers and so have had an easy pathway to success. We've all been sucked in by the alluring stories of hockey stick growth from other brands. But few brands like to share the real story, lest it tarnish their investable image. When you're a purpose-driven brand though, honesty and transparency about the realities are actually far more powerful. Imagine openly promoting your 2500 plus failed attempts to make your first product. Imagine the emotional challenges of 752 days in which your commitment is tested, your leadership is needed to keep your team motivated, your values are challenged every day, and all the while your bank balance is draining away. What does it take to build an internationally recognised groundbreaking brand from that kind of standing start? To answer those questions, my guest today is the hugely inspirational founder of Good Citizens, Nick Robinson. Together with his wife and two children, all equal shareholders in the business, Good Citizens makes eyewear where the frames are made from 100% post consumer recycled plastic, and in doing so, are executing their purpose of untrashing the planet. There are a number of things I hope you'll take from this episode. Firstly, just how hard it really is to make things out of recycled plastic. I hope you'll excuse some somewhat self-indulgent questions about the details of how they make their products. Having been down this path myself, I was fascinated by and somewhat in awe of what they've achieved with their manufacturing process. And if nothing else, I hope that you'll pass a BS filter over claims made by other brands about how their products are made from recycled materials. But, in many ways, this episode is the story of how purpose, and especially the Robinson family's commitment to each other to see that purpose through, that has sustained them through what continues to be a turbulent journey. Far from being backroom idealism, Good Citizen's Mission drives everything they do, and has enabled a story so compelling that they were able to secure a front window spot at Selfridges in London before they even fully launched, and they've been invited to speak to the leadership of Tesla and Google, and even at the UN. I hadn't intended this show to be about purpose especially, but as we were chatting, my mind increasingly opened up to the question of whether purpose is in fact the key to overcoming adversity and generating resilience as a founder. So please do listen right to the end for my take on that, having had this amazing opportunity to chat with Nick. So with that, let's start the show.
1: Nick Robinson, welcome to the show. Hello, young man. Nice to be here.
0: Oh, I love that. You've already buttered me up on on the very first word, young man. I'm not feeling it this year, Uh, Nick. I'm turning 50 in a month. Anyway, Nick, I'm so excited to have you here today. As Someone that's a blow-in into Australia, a, a local brand, well, super local to me, the Northern Beaches as well, and... A uh, little piece of insight for everybody who I'm sure will go and check out your site as soon as 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 soon as we finished uh, recording here is you came at, in at number five in our sustainability marketing index for effectiveness in marketing, uh, which means that you're doing a whole bunch of things really, really well.
1: Out of how many? How many people? Uh, just over 500. Five. Okay, so I've got a bit of work to do, haven't I? But that's very humbling. And you know what, when the kids come in from school tonight, I'll tell them because we we sit around the kitchen table and we discuss things uh, and we have to kind of talk about a highlight. So that is going to be a highlight of our week. So I shall tell them on Friday.
0: It genuinely does mean that you've thought through the brand message really carefully and it is coming across very strongly um, because of where, not just what you're saying, how you're saying it and where you've put the messaging. You know, in the customer journey. So you've done a very, very good job, and and I'm kind of on the hunt now to interview everybody in the top twenty uh, for their stories because I think it's 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 fascinating to share. But before we get into any of that, Nick, uh, I'd love you to spend a few minutes, if you don't mind, talking to me about your founder story. Who are you? Who's Nick Robinson, and what is Good
1: Citizens all about? Well, well I came here to Australia in 1998. I've had a mixed background. I've worked in television in the UK in advertising uh in radio uh i think my career kind of started at nine years of age i went for a paper round job and the guy said to me it's two pounds fifty for six days work and i came home and thought that's a bit, it's a bit rubbish so i ended up creating a pirate radio station i won't tell you how i did it but it did get shut down because of a a lack of a license and i did block out for about 200 meters from my house radio one which you know is the main the main Mm. BBC station, but I sold advertising space to the old people's home uh, and they just loved my little spirit. And the old people's home obviously was full, but they still bought an ad every week for about 10 quid. And I would go and knock on the garden center's door over the wall to say what specials have be got on. And I'd talk about them. So I made 20 pounds in a week. So I kind of I think my journey then was looking for interesting ways to get things to people in, 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 in and it's kind of led to where I am now. I I, I have a business with my kids. My background is obviously marketing, communications, media, entertainment, uh, and this business is a bit of a mix of all of that. And mm. we simply turn a six hundred mil discarded plastic bottle into a pair of hundred percent recycled eyewear frames. We're driven by three very very simple words: untrash the planet," uh, and they drive every decision in the business. And for any partner or anybody that has a touch point with our brand. Uh, and we started the journey in 2018. Uh, we failed 752 days before we made the first pair. We had over 2,503 official failed attempts. When we moved house recently, my wife noticed there was another three or 4,000 failed parts in the loft, which I hadn't told her about. I'd come home from the factory and put them in the loft, not the garage. So there's probably a lot more failed attempts. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's essentially good citizens. We turn trash into good. Over 700 days and and thousands of failed attempts. I mean,
0: what a, an incredible lesson in absolute determination, resilience that was, but how did you get it kicked off in the first place?
1: Yeah. So when, when I kind of announced to colleagues, I rang four people actually at the beginning of this journey to say, hey, I've got this idea, Joss and I, my wife, we went and spoke to these four people. These were four people that frightened us in business. Frightened us in a good way because they're no nonsense, right? They're going to call it as it is. So we presented this idea and they said, this is genius if you can pull it off. And that was 2018. And so we basically spent four months researching it, discovered things like recycled, v recyclable. Recycle means it's been taken from a waste stream that's a good thing because you're transforming it into something new, which is what we do. And then you've got the word recyclable, which means it can be made of a virgin product. And if it's a single source of material, so a pair of eyewear glasses has traditionally 21 parts in metal hinges, metal logos, inner cores, that's very hard to recycle again. And they may say recyclable on the side, but unless all those little components are in a separate pile, metal, plastic, glass, it just goes to landfill. So we spent four months understanding those phrases, which brands use and greenwash very, very regularly to kind of confuse consumers. Uh, so we spent four months doing that, nine months on design, and then 18 months of trial and terror. It wasn't trial and error. It was trial and terror because we were spending all our own money. Uh, and it got into the hundreds of thousands. I, When I give talks to people, it's the number one question, how much did this cost? Mm. And And I said, to get to the point of, shaking hands with the kids to the first pair coming off a production line, we could have bought 13 Golf GTI cars plus on road costs.
0: I, I mean, already so many questions have, have spun out of that. I suppose, you know, maybe maybe the first one is, you know, obviously that was a bucket load of cash that you luckily had to invest into the business in the first place. If you were doing this again and you were, and you and you, you shook hands again with your kids today, would you take a different pathway on that?
1: Yes and no. We're not, let's just clarify something, not wealthy, but this was our life savings. But we were driven by this, this kind of dream to do something that was good. And the kids were deeply upset. You know, they'd watched the Attenborough documentaries. They'd learned about this at school. They were six and seven. And at school, they're very kind of aware of what is happening with the planet. And this is pre-COVID. There was a lot of chatter around plastic until COVID came in and then it was saving humanity. But would I do it differently? No, uh, because did I well, I look back to some of the moments I've cried six times? I'm very honest with people as a founder, cried from exasperation, just sheer exhaustion of why is this not working? Mm. And we hired experts because you do need to speak to people. But those experts, were they had a limit to their ability because we'd, no, no one had done what we were doing to the level we were doing in the world. And that's mm. a big claim to make. And I've never actually said we're the first in the world or blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of people in the world. And, but we, we've never been able to find anyone doing it to this level because of we were very pure in what we were trying to do. I said to the kids, let's take one bottle and let's transform the bottle, that plastic of, of that bottle, into a pair of frames, hinges, and arms that connect mm. together. Right? So let's, some journalists have called it wizardry. It's kind of reincarnation. We didn't want to confuse people. We just wanted to say that one bottle, one bottle made this one pair that you can wear. And I, I get confused because people ring me and say, oh, can you come and talk at this conference in, around the world? And I'm like, why? And they said, because you're an expert in sustainability. And I, I have to laugh because I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just an expert in failure. I've failed more times probably than anybody else that's wanted to commit to a, to a singular project. And, and and yes, I guess I do know a lot about polymers. And I understand, you know, when I read brands that say they're making things, some certain things, I kind of do question it because I've, I've, I'm like a mad scientist. You know, I've got boxes and boxes of failures. Uh, and, but it's, it's kind of cool as well. You do look back and go, geez, that was, a, that was a hairy moment in our lives. We were so in debt, so weren't sure if this was going to come off. And not only would I look a failure to the world, but, you know, Joss and I would look like failures to our kids. Like, the worst loser parents on the planet because we're homeless
0: you founded your business on on four key principles one of which was only use 100 you know recycle materials well first of all what are that those four values perhaps share those but how, how have they guided you through all those tough times is that what sustained you through that stuff and, and then moving forward to today how are those values still guiding you uh, in terms of the way you conduct business
1: so our purpose is to untrash the planet to turn trash into good and so that's our guiding principle if all of a sudden we see in the studio or the workshop, a big pile of cardboard or you know, or lenses from Zeiss at the moment are coming in a plastic wallet. Then we're like, oh, hang about, that's trash. We've got to actually reduce that. So those words drive every decision. And now those plastic wallets actually go back to Zeiss and they're back into the system. right? So, it's, it's, so untrash the planet, if we can reverse the damage, that's good. That's the first kind of guiding principle. And the way I describe it, I'm going to dumb it down so apologies to your to your listeners that are obviously highly intelligent. But when we go and play, you know, bowling with the kids, we always tease mum because sometimes there's sides, there's a little thing pops up on the side of the alleyway and that keeps the ball on the straight and narrow.
0: I, I I need those. I need those. Yep. Yep.
1: Right. And that's and that's essentially what Untrash the Planet is for good citizens, because it keeps us on the straight and narrow. It's a guiding principle. The four values that under sit that, that sit underneath it, sorry. I only use 100% percent replastic plastic waste. No one on the planet should get harmed. Design a product that can be repaired, right, and that, that, that lasts because that's important. And the last one, Harry said, look, everybody that works with us on any level should get time with their family and loved ones because I think he'd been to school and some of his friends were kind of sad because they weren't seeing their parents because their parents were just working really hard. And, and that's actually become a really... Brilliant value of the business. It kind of helps us bring perspective sometimes, but those principles are still very much alive today. And I have been challenged deeply. And and if we'd gone, in fact, we were, we were working through some stuff. And if we'd had eighty percent recycled material and twenty percent virgin, it would have made our process a lot easier. So when you use a virgin plastic, imagine this: it's like water. It's nice and fluidy and lovely. And when you use our plastic, it's like crude oil, right? When you're pumping up a bike tire and it's flat and you're pumping it in really nice and easy, the last three pumps that go in, really difficult. That's where we start our process Mm. of trying to jam the plastic of one bottle into our machine. And what that does is it blows things open, valves blow Smells of burning. It's an absolute bloody nightmare. And I have thought about do we put some virgin plastic in and then I slap myself in the face with a fish because it's like, no, then we're only solving 80% of the problem. We set out to be 100% recycled and we will we will stick to that. yeah so they're the guiding principles and that's the guiding they're the four rules
0: super powerful and i love the analogy of the i don't know what those flaps are that that are down the side of a bowling alley let's call them flaps uh yeah that those those flaps that come up to keep you straight and keep you aligned and keep you focused because there are always so many things that come up challenges and and distractions that come up that
1: might take you off course Oh, you bounce off the side yeah. all the time as a founder. You're constantly bouncing because yeah. you're on the Absolutely. edge.
0: And so you're doing something extremely difficult with, with genuinely recycled plastic. And one of the things that you say is that you are essentially turning you know, trash, genuine, uh, unpleasant looking articles into the most gorgeous looking sunglasses. So tell us a little bit about the plastic that you're using. I mean, you know, there's obviously there's different sort of categories of plastic that people might think about these days. There's ocean plastic. There's sort of recycled plastic. Yep. Pet that's just come from a sort of essentially a virgin plastics uh, factory. Where do you sit in all this and what do you? Yeah, do? someone
1: told me the story over there of a brand that was basically there was a bottle factory and they were basically just making bottles, driving them around the corner to the fabric factory, crushing them up and making fabric from it because then they could claim that they were recycled. Our bottles are bought on the open market, so it's post consumer waste, it's not ocean waste. If someone at Bondi or you know down in St Kilda finds a bottle puts it into the, the bin public bin and that goes into the waste stream yeah we could potentially be using that bottle uh and it could have come from the ocean but we don't go out and pick bottles from the ocean and use ocean waste point 1 uh, and i always correct people on that but the plastic is is basically palleted up uh it's sent to melbourne uh it's the collars removed the bot the, the little collar the lid that we don't use that plastic. That goes somewhere else. Ours gets washed, crushed into cornflakes, then made into pellets, and then it's driven to our factory in Sydney. And, and the only thing that gets added is if we make a black pear, we put a little bead of black colouring in, which is also – it's like a Malteser. The outer case is also recycled, right? And so we've gone to such detail. So if the black pear, a little black bead of colour goes in, it's tiny. It's like little six grains of, mm. salmon, uh, of rice – for a bucket of plastic uh, and if we're making a blue pair we've got some blue and and what have you so if we're making the lemonade pair then it's just the bottle plastic so it goes on the journey uh, and the parts pop out and we drive them to our workshop and then we hand assemble them and traditionally in an eyewear game it would take oh, so much energy to use you you make a part you either start with a solid block CNC cut out some 90% of the frames just chucked because you're just left with a thin frame that then needs polishing, tumbling, sanding, then someone, and that can go for two, three weeks because in different big giant tumblers full of cork and sandpaper, all the that energy mm. that's being used for that. Right. And we basically make a part, it pops out and we can assemble the kids can assemble I've got the record oh, Fraser had the record that works with us 10 pairs in 10 minutes. Wow. Right. Because none of our parts need any finishing because it's just even, you know, you, you, I look at eyewear brands that say, Oh, well, they're, they're recycled, but they've got this giant metal logo slapped in the side that's glued in and bonded in. That then makes that pair of glasses not recyclable because at the sorting center, it goes, Oh, red, red alarm. You've got a metal logo and you've got a plastic, a, a plastic arm that it's sitting in. So we emboss our logo and yeah, it's, our clip is a visual signifier, our design, the entire design, but our our logo is very minimal. So that enables us to then become a, you know, it becomes easier to process at the end of life.
0: And I love the fact that you do that. So for anyone that's not familiar, uh, good citizens essentially have componentized their sunglasses so that you can replace, you can sort of mix and match if you want to, but essentially if the arms snap off for whatever reason, unlike a normal pair of sunglasses and you're done, that that whole thing's wasted, you can essentially get replacement arms and put them back on. And that's particularly topical for me because just recently we are in the UK And I was chatting with somebody, and I was so surprised about something that I sort of slapped my face like this and I snapped both the arms on my sunglasses. That whole ability to prolong the life of something that you've made and and fallen in love with by replacing broken parts is a very powerful one, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope we we kind of think it may be the last pair of sunglasses you'll ever buy because you'll just be able to buy buy new parts. It's, you know, I built a bed for the kids. I won't say the brand, but we all know it. And it uses an Allen key. And after five hours and 100 swear words, You know, It kind of did inspire me to go, why can't we break down a pair of glasses that's 21, 22 parts into five parts and number them? And if someone breaks it, then not only can my kids help build them in the workshop, but someone at home can repair them, Mm. right? And so we just make the pair, the part, and mail it out. We have an idea, which will be awesome one day, that we'll be able to digitally make parts and send them to little places around the world that you can pick up your part from. But that's that mean we've got all these crazy ideas where we don't even manufacture in Australia. Yeah, we manufacture in Istanbul and we manufacture in Paris and we so
0: local to whoever needs it. Yeah, which makes sense.
1: Local to yeah, yeah. and and and, but you know it needs some technology to 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 develop. But we've got our eyes on on the future.
0: And I assume you're still. I mean, this is probably a too technical question, but I'm just fascinated. I assume you're still using essentially an injection molding process rather than 3D printing or something similar to make these things.
1: Yeah, well, we've kind of. Yeah, shot ourselves in the foot because we thought, okay, let's build a process that we can then duplicate around the world. Why invent? So we've reinvented what goes in an injection molding machine. So you're absolutely correct. But, you know, it's like mini, the car, many years ago, my dad's era, it would go 80 miles an hour. Then a guy called John Cooper Works came along, polished this, bought out the engine, changed the pistons and made that car go 120 miles an hour, right? John Cooper Works. So essentially, we basically created something that goes inside that is our IP, and we are in a position, hopefully soon, that we can actually then say, right, let's duplicate what we've got here, and let's just find a factory in Paris that has a machine that ours can go inside. And that way, we're only inventing 80% of the wheel, and it enables other people to untrash the planet locally.
0: And that story of untrash the planet, I think, is the thread that that comes across so strongly through everything you're making. And I, you know, I've heard you say before that you didn't start out to make sunglasses. You started out with the objective to untrash the planet. Yeah, And and obviously, so story then is, is something that's critically uh, actually important to getting the n- the news of what you're doing out in front of people. What's your view on story? And, and you know, obviously you're very good at it, but w- what's your view on telling that story and, h- and how do you go about that?
1: Look, I've got to an age now where I kind of, I've kind of spent my early youth trying to prove myself to people and, and we all go through it. It's, it's part of, I think you stop being a bit of a knob when you're 35. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine was, mine was sometime in my 40s. Right. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I kind of thought like the name good citizen, let's just pause on the name. Cause I get asked this when I give lectures at unis and stuff. And I've been asked to give talks to like global branding companies, which I just laugh at, but because what we've created is so, so simple, but yet powerful. Good citizens, The name good citizen, good. You want to be perceived as good. Everyone's on Instagram. This is when I show my age, but everyone's trying to project this image of themselves that's amazing and living the life right. And ultimately, you just want to be liked by everybody around you, and you want to be perceived as a good, good person. Citizen component of it is we're all on this planet together. Doesn't matter whether you're a warlord or you know you run a fledgling empire or you support this football team or you like that rock band you like purple hair and you like wearing a kilt to school you're still a citizen that's the thing that unites us so let's all just become good citizens and let's just do the right thing just do the right thing and so that kind of was the start of our story and and this is a long-winded kind of way to say that i you know we all i thought why can't we why can't the brand just be like a human why can't we just be open and honest from day one And admit from day one that we're not this Instagram perfect eyewear brand. We don't know what we're doing and we're making shit up, right? And because other people go, I love you for the fact that you've just said, this is our idea. We have no idea how we're going to do it, but we're going to document through social media, through interviews, through newspaper articles. And if we all fall over and fail and we don't get it going, at least we tried. And I think the story is, you know, Joss, myself and two kids taking on the world of single-use plastic and, and literally making stuff up and people connect with that. And we don't stop it. We don't stop just making stuff up because we're not experts. I'm an expert at failing because I can tell you the 2,500 ways not to do it. But we are pushing the boundaries and this is interesting we got asked to go and speak to the guys at tesla and you know what a lovely email to get to say hey we think our visions align can you come and talk to the leadership team so harry and i went in and you know what was pl- blatantly obvious and i'm not even comparing us to them but they operate on the edge at spacex you know the whole you know they've got multiple areas of the business they're operating on the edge and that edge is so close to success or failure and it takes Either stu- sheer stupidity or insanity to be on that edge, and I think I' probably fall mm. into the first one, right? Like, who, who leaves a good job at, at 44 years of age with a great career to go broke and set up a sun, an, an untrashing business with two kids? It's just nuts. Yeah. But uh, the story seems to connect with people of all levels, from what, you know, we met the prime minister, you know, they rang us. Pretty funny like I was having a really rubbish day and then get a phone call from the prime minister's office, seeing if we were available on Monday for a chat of which I kind of was a bit distracted and said, I'll check the diary. And the guy at the other end said, people generally don't check their diary when the prime minister's office rings. You've <laughs> got time. So yeah, I've got time, but you know, that we, we made that part of our story. Some people didn't like the fact we met the prime minister, but I just said, look, if you want to make change, we want to untrash our planet. You've got to speak to the leaders that are in charge and you've got to try and get through to them that change can happen. And I absolutely love that Harry and Archie spent 20 minutes talking to the prime minister about what they want as kids. And I got time to talk to him around. I want to make Australia famous for sustainability, good design and good recycling. I want to show the world that Australia has imagination, not just sunshine barbecues and beautiful beaches.
0: Yeah although that's a big plus let's be honest yes. but you know for anyone that doesn't know Harry uh, who you just mentioned is one of your two kids yep. and one of your business partners in this in, in 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 many ways and and you know one of the incredible things that I think is that you you've sort of taken him on that journey, or being maybe maybe he's taken you on the journey. I'm not quite sure which way around you'd express it, but you've both spoken uh, to Tesla, you've both spoken to the Prime Minister, you've both spoken at the UN.
1: Yeah, Archie as well. Archie's deeply. Archie's the third. Archie, there's four of us: Joss, myself, Harry, and Archie. Harry and Archie have 25% say in the business right. each, and they own 50%. So when we have big decisions to make, then we all have a vote, and I can override them if I think it makes business sense. But they can absolutely challenge me. But yes, yeah, sorry. So Harry and I have
0: don't apologise. I think it's brilliant because I mean, it, it sounds like a romantic idea to have your kids involved in your business. In some ways, it sounds it sounds kind of, um, you know, we're not just talking about sort of grown up kids. We're talking about you know young
1: kids, seven, eight year old, six, yeah, seven and eight when we started, yeah. right?
0: And so that's an interesting concept to me. How have you managed that process? Because obviously, there's there's the there's the innocence of youth which is which is great and they and and no doubt they'll have told you some home truths at times over the years that have either made you think twice or or kept you going but then there's also the protecting the innocence of youth isn't there with the whole thing how have you managed that that tightrope
1: yeah god i've I, I got emotional on a stage harry and i were invited to talk in melbourne last year to a un sponsored kind of thing and i actually cried on stage because i wanted to say at the end to him i'm so proud of you, your mum and your brother for trusting me and that together we've created this, but I couldn't get the words out, right? And and I felt terrible. And he was trying to help me on stage. And and it comes down to the they have been exposed to quite a lot. I mean how often do we say I saw my dad crying? You know, we don't we don't kind of you don't say that as kids. So they have been exposed to grumpy dad right a lot because it's very hard. It's a very difficult space to occupy when you're failing. And mm-hmm. for two and a half years, I would meet my friends for a curry and my friends are working for the bank and they're making millions and mm-hmm. I'm not. And it was, what are you doing? He's still doing that crazy idea. And what, 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 else? you know, so the, the kids have been exposed to the, the very raw side of setting up a business and the raw side of sheer failure. And it's a difficult place to occupy. And again, that untrashed the planet kind of got all of us through because that was our driving purpose. Mm. So that they've seen that side of it and and sometimes, you know, they've got very anxious because they they're anxious anyway about the planet drowning in plastic trash. Now they're anxious that mum and dad can't fix it and that we've spent all the money. So we've had to be really careful about that. The flip side is that they're wonderful because they have an innocence, they ask questions. And, you know, Joss and I have to report to them on things. And so it's not like talking to a a non-exec director's board. We're talking to two kids, nine and 10, right? And they want to know what's happening in the financials. They want to know what's happening with cost of goods. They want to know about what's happening with impact. They want to know about what promotions we've got coming up. So all of a sudden, when we're pulling together presentations to show the kids, because they have to see we're kind of dumbing it down. Not, I'm not being rude about them, but they don't understand big words that adults use. Mm. And so we had to simplify all our comms. And that's actually helped us because the average Joe Blow walking down the street doesn't 100% focus on an ad that they see, doesn't 100% read anything these days. They're mm. just all distracted. And it's like the, it's, we're all kids get distracted. They get bored. If you had a board meeting going on for two hours, our, board, our, our chats last 25 minutes. Mm. So the kids have taught us to simplify things and be very open and honest. And they've also just kept us on track. I don't want my kids to turn to Joss and I and say, you lying bastards. It wasn't 100% recycled. It was 50. Or you lying bastards. You didn't remove that ocean waste. Or you didn't prevent the carbon from going to the atmosphere. You lied. I'd Mm. never live that down as a dad.
0: Absolutely fascinating journey that you're walking with there. And, and, And as you've been saying that, I've been wondering you know, how much of that being the very core of the business has in fact translated into the simplicity with which you communicate your message. Um, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot been said over the years about, you know, when you're marketing, certainly consumer products, you have to write a, and communicate your message as if you were to an eight-year-old because that's the level that people can understand. That's the attention span that people have for it. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, there's a lot talked about that. And, and I'm just wondering now whether that might be Right. You know, behind the scenes, one of the hidden secrets that you have with the way that you've communicated your message. But regardless, it's taken you everywhere. And one of the things that you that I've heard you say in the past was that you're not a huge fan of of social media. The the, the you know the um the the tools that you're using with Good Citizens, um, in terms of the way that you're using uh, social media, are simplistic. And obviously, it hasn't been something that you focused on in your new brand. So, how have you? Promoted uh, the great work that you're doing. How have you been promoting this story? What's working for you?
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I am a fan of social media if it's used correctly. And, and it's, you know, I know that these are the brands out there that just buy followers and you can go and look at their, and they you go, you look and go, oh God, they've got 80,000, 100,000, 30,000 followers. And then you look at their engagement and they've got like three people liking it. So yeah. we've just been focused on what we believe is the right thing to do right now, which is solve the problem of single use plastic. And sporadically post uh, to our socials. We use email a lot, so we really talk to our database uh, and tell them what we're up to. You know, we we share the ups and downs. Like I, I I remember sending an email out saying, you know, most most brands would probably send an email out saying, hey, it's been blah blah blah, it's fantastic, blah, blah. and here's some cool imagery. I just wrote, it's it's been a shitty week. Uh, I'm about three out of ten. Things aren't going to plan. This lovely guy called Adam, who was a good citizen, emailed saying, Have the keys to my holding house. Go right. and recharge. So is that that to me, whilst I don't want to, you know, be negative to we don't call them customers, we call them good citizens. They're on our population. Mm. Maybe he'd had a crappy week and he went, Good on you for being honest, because no one's ever honest. So yeah, we we our story has attracted news headlines. I think we've been on Channel Nine News now twice. You know just recently they ran a couple of minutes on us, national. We've been in Forbes. We've we use the PAV PR because it's a it's a nice story. And I'm very open and honest when I speak to journalists.
0: So how how do you do that, Nick? What's your secret for PR? Because you, you had a PR agency for a while. Obviously, you're a bit of an expert in this space, if if not in anything else.
1: My wife's the expert. I think you just have to have a good story hook and you have to have something mm. that's unique and something that's different. And our story was a failure to begin with. And yeah, it was kind of cool that these two kids were coming along on the ride, but we protected them. So we got we woke up one Sunday morning, we'd been interviewed for the Sydney Morning Herald, and we thought it was going to be a little piece inside. And it turned out that Harry was on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, right? Judi Dench was the size of a matchbox, and Harry was half the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald. We don't even have our kids on social media. Like we don't even, we don't really tell our lives on social media. That was a weird moment because all of a sudden poor Harry was like just exposed to the world and he got really overwhelmed when he went to the newsagents and saw that there was not just one newspaper, but hundreds of newspapers piled up with his face on. So that was a bit of a wake up call. We really pulled them back, Mm. but journalists just wanted to talk to the kids, you know, let's talk to these kids and you can talk to the kids and they'll give you, you could do this interview with them tomorrow and they'd probably give you, it would be a similar thread of conversation because they understand so much that's going on. But yeah, PR has been a big one. Uh, People just like the story. I don't know. They just ring us and say, hey, we've heard this story. And look, if anyone's listening to this and you want some practical advice, you've got to solve a problem. If you're solving a problem, then it's interesting. Hmm. It's got some depth. Now we might not be the most liked people on Instagram. We might not have the most followers, but I'm not here. To have a quick flash in the pan business i'm here to have a business that will make change and untrash the planet for many years to come so we've got deep roots and we have a what a lot of brands don't have is a story of truth and they don't have a st- uh, uh, they don't have that kind of dimension and that's what we focused on and so that's what's connected with journalists because there are a million type million eyewear brands there's a million brands that do active wear, there's a million car brands you know, and I, I guess my dad, when I'd ring him and say, Oh god, I've had a crappy week, he'd say, How many times have you failed now? And I said, Oh, we're about a thousand failed attempts. And he said, Good, keep going. Dyson failed five thousand seven hundred times. And Dyson, that's part of his story, isn't it? That he failed so many times. And what an in, what a kind of inspiration to all inventors out there. Yeah. But people love genuine transparency. They just love honesty.
0: Yeah. And and talking of that, and you you mentioned something there around, you know, sharing your story on email, the highs and the lows and and you know coming back to this notion of, of transparency because we we call it active transparency here where where we are sharing the good things the bad things the work yet still to do the accomplishments that we have done in a way that engages uh people into the story yeah. you you obviously call it some you call it radical transparency how yeah. important do you think then that is the, the actual act of being transparent how important do you think that is to um not only telling the story but keeping the story going and, and making it be not just feel but be authentic
1: radical transparency is really important to us because i want other brand owners to know that there is i'd love i'm really dyslexic and i i don't say this lightly i'd kind of love in a few years time to maybe a book's brought out and we bring a book out and we kind of document our journey and show people if you do things correctly and you do things authentically and you do things the right way and don't rush things then and you do things that you know are profitable, so we want to be super profitable and super impact. We want it to live hand in hand, 50 50 mm. If we're making making loads of money, like all the fashion brands, and they're not doing anything apart from raping the world, right, and and uh, harming people and resources, that's kind of bad. I don't like that. So we want to show that there is a good good news story, and and people connect, don't they? It's like if you meet a friend and And you meet them in the real world, in IRL, in real life, as my kids say. And you can tell (laughs) as soon as your friend sits down, they don't even have to say anything, right? They just, you can tell whether they're in a good mood a bad mood, they've had a hard week or a good week. You can tell by their body language. And if your friend opens up to you and talks to you and shares, you also open up, talk and share. And you actually give them a little hug and go on your way and go, and that's why they're my friend. You don't like people that just are fake, that projects everything's, you know, you want to want to be surrounded by real people. And I want people to be surrounded by real brands, Mm. that they understand that it isn't easy and it isn't perfect. And I think the more transparent you are with people, the more they're going to love you.
0: It's about bringing them in, isn't it? It's about treating them like equals. It's about, you know, we we, we often say that, you know, for, for brands that are trying to have an impact to be successful, they have to cast the customer as the hero in the mission. And if they're the heroes in the mission, then they're your partners in the endeavor. And, and you can't keep your partners at arm's reach and only give them the good news. That's not how relationships work. That's a lovely analogy. But talking about all this and talking about the ups and downs of, of the founder story, I I feel I, I I feel personally that I would like I would love to pick your brains about something because you know, having 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 done this myself, not to the degree that you have, and certainly not with the positive impact that you have over the years. But having gone through the journey of, of building a product that didn't exist before, the many failures that is, the many successes and failures in business, having, having been unprofitable in businesses in the past and, 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 the, and the crushing pressure that puts you under uh, you know, in all, in all walks of life, how have you managed your mental state through all this? What sustains you and, and, and how do you turn, like inevitably you have crappy days, how do you turn those around and keep going?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, the purpose untrash the planets one secondly like i'm a i'm a shocker at the moment you know it there's some incredibly difficult decisions to be made and and lots on my plate like it can be very overwhelming uh and even the other day i was i was just sat there thinking i was scribbling some notes down and i just wrote down you know you can read all these books i just read i think it's shoe dog phil knight great book you know and Everyone looks at these brands and goes, oh, Nike's massive and everyone's massive and they just did so well. But there was a struggle journey behind it. right? Mm -hmm. And and maybe Good Citizens doesn't have to be the number one eyewear brand in sales in the world. You know, maybe what I'm doing and what Harry, Archie, Joss and I and the team are doing right now will set us up to become the number one eyewear brand in the world in 10 years time. And as I kind of wrote that, the pressure came off me a little bit. So I think perspective is really interesting. We all want things right now. And I'm a shocker for that. But bring perspective to mm. as long as I've got enough to pay the mortgage, feed the kids and, and, you know, not struggle and have things going in the right direction, that's good, right? That's good. And so that kind, of, that, that kind of helped me understand that this isn't a journey that needs to be solved in three months. We've got time to do this. I've just got to make sure that we can eat, feed, and, and, and do the basics. Mm. Uh, I started swimming. You know, I go down the ocean pool every day when it's not too wavy. I know we live in the same area, so it's been some big waves in the last week, ginormous waves. So I didn't go in because I'm not the best swimmer. Uh, Exercise is good. And I just chat. I've got some really good friends and I'd encourage any kind of founder. Just find someone to talk to and share, because as soon as you share with another founder, you know, you'll find a little alliance, and and I have lots of little alliances. And I ring in, I check in every week with with founder friends to see how they are, just mm. to say how are you going, what's what's going on in your world. And it's funny, just when you talk things through, that's kind of helped me.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I, d- I definitely have heard many people say that. Uh, um, you know, I don't know I know many other founders that that specifically do ocean swims. Uh, there's something about the cold water that liberates you I, I don't know i think there's there's definitely something there's something in that for sure um so so thanks for sharing that practice well nick where do, where do people go to get these amazing impactful uh, sunglasses
1: you can go to our website so the old www.goodcitizens.com.au uh, you can the kids said wait when you have this conversation make sure you promote our instagram page so good citizens underscore official. Uh, and if you want to go to our, there's some stockists around the country as well, go to our website and there's some stockists at the bottom. But we we do free returns, free exchanges. Uh, and so try them, give them a go, be a planet on trashing good citizen. And uh, yeah, we welcome anybody into our population to help us spread the good word.
0: And talking of that, I, I feel a little bit sick this morning because I noticed on your site for the first time, having told you that story, having broken my subscri- my subscription sunglasses that you actually do now do subscription lenses and sunglasses, uh, don't you? So tell us how that
1: works. Yeah. So we do prescription. So we've partnered up with Zeiss and they do, we've got the labs in Adelaide and Sydney. So we get excellent lenses. You get excellent lenses in our, in our products. But yeah, we do prescription it takes a couple of weeks, sometimes a week to get the prescription back so we can get your glasses to you pretty quick. We also uh, readers. So when you hit our age, you have to start holding your phone a little bit further away from your eyes. So we do the the, the, the plus fives up to, I think, four for readers. So if you're struggling to read your phone or a menu in a restaurant uh, or you know a book, or a magazine then jump on our website.
0: Nick, thanks so much for being so generous with sharing your story today and imparting all that amazing advice and congratulations
1: on what is a
0: incredible roller coaster and continues to be an exciting ride for
1: you guys. Now, it's lovely to come on today and and anybody who's listening to this, trust your gut. I always say this to people when I get asked, trust your gut. Whilst there's many experts around you, you're the one that's going to carry this journey, so listen to them but trust what you think's right. And go for it. And if we can do it, then you can do it.
0: And I think that is such an inspiring men- message to finish on because um, privileged as I am to get to talk to lot- lots of founders, some of the people that are making the biggest difference now in- and really reinventing the way brands think about making products, but also therefore the way consumers think about consuming those products, is is people that are just strangers to the industry going, "Why can't we do this?" Um, and so if you think, "Oh, I don't have the skills, I don't have the knowledge," that's probably a good place to start uh, because it means that you come in fresh and get to rethink everything Um, and don't take no for an answer. You know, if I listen to your your story there, 752 days, two and a half thousand prototypes, you never took no for an answer. And now you have an absolute change making brand. So Nick, thanks again. It's been a privilege.
1: Good to talk to you.
0: Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. And well, firstly, let's just reflect on the material and product creation journey that Nick and the team have been on. Innovation is happening all around the world, so we must be open to the idea that smart folks elsewhere have also found solutions to using 100% recycled plastic, but it clearly isn't an easy thing to do. Personally, I was aware of the challenges of ocean plastic, and at least in part thanks to the conversations we've had on this show, but I wasn't aware just how hard it is to make something purely from 100% recycled material. I'm certainly now going to look at other products claiming to be made from that with a keener eye thanks to this conversation. I also love though Nick's analogy of how their business values are like the flaps on the side of a bowling alley. I now know these are called bumpers but the point is when you have clearly defined values they truly do help you stay true and help everyone stay aligned with what you believe in. The universe wants to challenge you to drift off course, and that can be through production issues, financial constraints, supplier relationships, or any number of other tactical problems where the easier thing to do is to take the path of least resistance. But let's come back to this big question of whether purpose, real, deep, driving purpose, is a critical ingredient for founder resilience and overcoming adversity. Thanks to Nick being so open about the challenges we get to see just how hard getting to their very first pair actually was. I got the opportunity to chat with Nick for a coffee after the show and he shared with me some stories about how those challenges continue almost every single day as they wrangle 100% recycled plastic into both new and existing molds. So what sustains him through all that? He's clearly driven by this purpose of untrashing the planet, yet that's an impossible endeavor for any one brand. I actually think it goes a little bit deeper. I'll admit I hadn't considered that this being a family business was an essential element of their success but the way they each and collectively share a total commitment to the purpose rather than just being involved in a business is really unlike anything I've seen before. So I think it's the shared purpose and importantly their shared commitment to it that is an essential and priceless element of their success. So can you replicate this lesson in your own brand and generate this level of resilience for yourself? Many brands continue to copy good citizens' marketing, but can you borrow from their brand DNA? I think to a degree you can. Firstly, you need the structure of the brand's values, the purpose bumpers which everyone must adhere to, and must be actively used and very visibly used to test every decision and every action you take. Secondly, everyone, especially the brand leadership needs to genuinely share your commitment to the purpose and openly answer to each other and hold each other accountable for moving towards it. And thirdly, and finally for now at least, as the brand founder, you are the champion of the purpose. You have to live and breathe it relentlessly every day, and most especially on the shitty days when nothing's working. Doing that builds the backbone of expectation for the team, your suppliers and dare I say your customers to get on board. So I want to say thanks again to Nick Robinson for sharing such deep insights about good citizens and how they're reshaping how we think about turning waste into items of value, and of course the humble stories of resilience that are driven by shared brand purpose. I'll be back again with you next week for more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce, so until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.